Good morning, brothers and sisters. Sorry about, uh, I know we were supposed to start at 11.15. We had some special music, but technical difficulties. You know, a lot of restaurants right now are doing kind of like two for one specials. Buy one meal, get one free. We decided to do the same for you this morning in our series of the Kings. We have two Kings for you this morning. We're gonna look at King Jotham and we're gonna look at King Ahaz. One was a good king, one not so much. Turning your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 27. 2 Chronicles chapter 27. We will start with King Jotham. It says, Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still the people acted corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. He built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forest he built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for these stories of the kings. Lord, we pray that we would find... Um, the truth in your scripture, how to apply them to our lives, that we might be better men and women for you. Lord, we think of right now, just the state of the world, that uh, you would just show yourself strong, that people would turn their hearts and their eyes towards you, and that uh, they would fall in love with you, that we might see revival in this land. During this time, Lord, we pray that you would just encourage us in the faith. May we feel your love and your grace. Be glorified above all. In your name, amen. We're just going to do a little comparison today, a little contrast between Jotham and Ahaz. Um, we're going to start with Jotham. You know, he's got a great testimony. There's nothing in Scripture that really says he made any mistakes. As we've been going through this series of the Kings, there's a lot of guys who have a lot of mistakes. Jotham is not one of them. And so I want to look at verse 6 where it says, So Jotham became mighty. Because he prepared his ways before the Lord, his, his God. How did King Jotham become so mighty? What set him apart as a good king? He prepared his ways before the Lord, his God. He prepared his ways before the Lord, his God. I want to look here in the uh, second verse. Where it said, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. How did he prepare his ways before the Lord? One of the things he did was to look at his father's life. King Uzziah, as we heard Brian talk about it last week, King Uzziah was a good king, and yet he had a brutal mistake. He offered stuff on the incense altar to the Lord of the temple, not his thing, and he was struck with leprosy. So why am I saying this? I think it's interesting that King Jotham, remember that King Uzziah was actually in um, kind of hiding. So King Jotham was actually reigning for a while. 
he was pretty much the one in charge before his father even died. And so it says that he did, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except he didn't go into the temple. I would just like to remind us today, are you studying other believers in your life? One of the things we must do as believers in the Lord Jesus is simply look at the lifestyles of our leaders, of our fellow brothers and sisters, and admire the things they've done right in the Lord, and stay away from the things that they have done wrong. When I teach multicultural foods in seventh grade, I kind of give this speech to my students where I try to tell them, listen, we are going to talk about cultures from around the world. And there is positive things about these cultures and negative things. Because sometimes we live in a world where we only want to be positive. Like it's, it's very disrespectful to bring up the things they did wrong. I think you can bring up people's mistakes without being rude. Jotham here did according to what his father did in following the Lord. And yet he did not go to the temple. He looked at his father and he did this right, this right. And my father messed up in this area. And I'm not going to make the same mistakes that he did. When I teach 7th grade, I love to teach about Italy, Italian culture. One of the positives about them was they were big into family and big into food. Two things that I love. Italians know how to have great family time around the table. And yet, as we talked about the culture of Italy and families and how they used to use food to kind of prove their love for one another. I then tell them, do you know what country in the world right now has the smallest average size family? It's Italy. And all the reports would say that they gave up big families for stuff. Bigger houses, better paying jobs. They gave up the size of their family for other things. So that would be a negative thing. And I try to tell my students, listen guys, family's more important than those things. And so when you look out at your brothers and sisters in the Lord, learn from the positive things they have done in life. Us as parents, we should be looking at the parents that have gone on before us. And both lessons are crucial. The things they did right with their children and the things they did wrong. I've always appreciated when parents tell both sides of the story. They share what they've done right with their kids and they also share their mistakes so that we can learn from it. Remember, that's why God has put these stories in here. So we can learn from their mistakes so we don't have to make the same ones. King Jotham was a mighty man because he prepared his ways before the Lord. He took that which was his upbringing was good and he stayed away from what was bad. To prepare his ways means he was intentional about his plans. He was intentional and he went before the Lord with his plans. He had to. You know what it reminded me of? It's just... Take one minute. Tom will be right back. As we talk about him being intentional about his plans, it reminded me in my life 
again, have I planned out what I want to do for the Lord? Have I looked at where do I want myself spiritually to be in a month or two, a year, five years? Have I thought out the future process for these things? Turn your Bible to Proverbs 12, chapter 27. In Proverbs 12 and verse 27, it's a very interesting verse to me, one of those verses that has made me ponder. It says, The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. I think about that. You know, a lot of times we think laziness is not doing anything. But that's not what this verse is. King Jotham was not lazy. He prepared his ways. He was intentional. He had a strategic plan. He was not just sitting around. And yet, I read this proverb, and sometimes I see my own ways more like this man in the proverb than King Jotham. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. Here's the interesting part about the proverb. It's not saying that the lazy man did not go hunting. In fact, the lazy man went hunting, had success, and then never ate it. When I was thinking about this, I had memories flood into my mind. I don't like to admit this publicly, and it hasn't happened a lot, but... There's definitely times when this has happened to me going fishing. When I went fishing, I caught some trout. I came home late at night around 9 o'clock. I just didn't feel like cleaning the fish. I said, ah, it'll probably be good if I clean them tomorrow. So I put the trout in the fridge. The next day, I never cleaned them. And suddenly I had to throw out those fish because they went bad. All I had to do was come home and gut them. Then I could have prepared them the next day or even the day after. But I had success in fishing. I caught trout, and yet I didn't get to eat them because I didn't see through the whole process. Is that your life? Are there things that you have done that even other people might say, oh, you're doing great with that. Don't worry about it. It takes time. You know in your heart you have not fully completed what the Lord has given you to do. You have done your service to the Lord halfway. You have done your ministries halfway. You've been lazy. King Jotham was anything but. He prepared his way for the Lord. What did he do? It says he built the gates and the walls. He strengthened the temple. He built the upper gate. He built this wall of Ophel. These things were to strengthen the temple. His focus as king was to make sure that people got right with God. Because that's what the temple was about. You brought your offerings. You got to be near the presence of God. You got to have your sins covered. He wanted to make sure that that was established and protected. That if war was coming, at least don't mess with the temple. Because... We can actually lose money as a country. We can have our 
cities burned and stuff like that. But we've got to have that temple so that we can be with our God. That's the priority. And so he became a very good king in doing that. And you know, even as he tried to do this, the Bible says that the people still were burning incense in the high places. They were still offering sacrifices to false gods. Just because you have good leadership does not mean the people always follow. Just because you have good leadership doesn't mean the people follow. The next thing he did was to build cities and fortified walls during a time where he heard rumors of war from the surrounding countries, but it really was a time of peace for that while while he was building. Later on, he does go to war and has a great victory. But I want you to think about his wisdom here as king. Let's build cities and let's build fortresses. Let's build up our defense because the fight is coming. The fight is going to come. There's some of us here that have got extra time during this COVID crisis. What have you done to build up your fortresses? We have time, some of us, that we have not had in years. Sports has been taken away. Some of our jobs have been taken away. Getting together corporately sometimes in different ways has been taken away. You have time to do certain things that you might not have had time for before. What will you do with this time? It's time to fortify the city. Because battles are coming. Let's look at this time as a way to strengthen our faith in the Lord, to build up our knowledge of Scripture, to build up a closeness to the Lord. I want to be able to go back to work and be able to share the gospel in a more vibrant and beautiful way. Because I've had time to refocus with my Savior. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How are we doing at that? How have you been doing at redeeming the time that God has given you during this time? Jotham had a good reign, and then his son Ahaz was born. Ahaz was nothing like his father. I'm going to read in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. We're going to read the first four verses there. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. If you look, it says this, all the way over in verse 22. 
prophesy in verse 19. As we had that verse of King Jotham that says he continually prepared his ways before the Lord his God, and he became mighty. Here's a testimony of King Ahaz in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 19. It says, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Continually unfaithful to the Lord. If you want to see a timeline sometimes for morals in any society, when you turn your back on the Lord, it goes something like this. And the nation of Israel went through some of this over their history. There was times where they might have had good morals. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, bringing their sacrifices to the Lord, focusing on the Lord. And then it comes to a point where there's a moral decline. Even during King Jotham's reign, people are still sacrificing to other gods. The morals are on decline. And then it gets to a point where the leaders encourage the moral decline. Now we're at a point in the nation's history where their king is the one telling them to decline morally. That's what happens to the human heart. That's what happens to culture when you forget your God. It is nothing new. The Bible says there's nothing new under a sun. Any culture in any country, when they turn their backs on the Lord, they eventually go from morals to moral decline to their leaders and the talk of the day encouraging people to have immorality. And that's what was going on during King Ahaz's reign. Here's what happened. The king got into a fight, into a battle. In fact, the northern kingdom, Israel, paired up, paired up uh, with another country, and they were going to attack him. It was going to be a slaughter. And so instead of seeking the Lord like other kings have, he decided to pair up with the king of Assyria. The Assyrians, who God had been trying to wipe out historically anyway through Israel. He decided to pair up with Assyria to fight his brothers. Remember, this is the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're basically the wicked ones for many times. And so I want to show you what he did, which was so disgusting, as we see that he encouraged moral decline. In fact... Right when about these wars about to happen, look at verse 22, what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. It says, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. As distress hit, he became even more unfaithful to God. My goodness, that sentence chills through my bones because I freak out sometimes. I go... This is a little stressful situation we're in. Am I more faithful to God? Or am I like King Ahaz, that the more the stress comes, the more I forget about my God. The more stress comes in my life, the more unfaithful I actually get to God. Because that was his testimony. He has a war about to go on, and he pairs himself with Assyria. 
And look what he does. King Jotham tried to secure the temple. He prioritized it. He built gates and he fortified the walls around it. Look what he does with the temple. In 2 Kings chapter 16, we're going to read of some of the things that he did there. In 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 8, it says, And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. He took the gold and the silver in the temple and gave it as a gift, as a bribe to the king of Assyria. Saying, hey man, I'll give you some gold, I'll give you some silver, just come help me. In fact, later on it says um, that he would call himself a son to the king of Assyria. That's how deep into it he was and how much he needed his help. The gold and the silver were those things that were supposed to bring glory to God. As you walked near the temple, it was the seventh wonder of the world during Solomon's time. Laid out in gold. And people would have an awe saying, this is a holy place. God's presence is here. And the gold was never about the people. The gold was to signify how great and awesome the God that dwelt there was. How valuable he was. He took the things that were supposed to bring God glory. And he gave them to a pagan king. Some of us have been given talents that could be used for the Lord's glory. I pray that we would not be a people that give it to the world to use. One of the things that seems, this happens a lot in music, the arts, even athletics. God gives people talents, not spiritual gifts, talents that could be used to help give God glory. And yet the world seems so enticing that they'd rather use their gifts in the world and they forget their God. This is what King Ahaz was doing. He gave the gold and silver from the temple and gave it to a pagan king. Sadly, it gets worse. After he did this, he met with the king of Assyria. And as he was in Damascus, he saw that king's altar. And it looked cool. So he actually sent a messenger back to Judah saying, I want you to build an altar just like this one for us. This altar is awesome. Let's look what happens in verse 14. Of 2 Kings chapter 16. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering, and the evening grain suffering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land. 
their grain offerings, their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offerings, of all the blood of the sacrifices. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. He replaced the altar with another altar. Again, I get chills thinking about it. He was a king, the nation of Israel, and he replaced it. I want you to think about all that that means. The altar was a place that had to be first before you approached God. Remember, that was exactly what you met with first when you went near the temple courts. There was different pieces of furniture along the way to get to the Holy of Holies. The very first thing was a bronze altar because there is no way you're going to approach God with your sins on your hands. You have to be covered in blood. You brought your sacrifice so that that animal's blood, that animal's life could atone for your sin, a covering for your sin, so you could be clean before you go to God. The king took the very first piece of approaching God and said, you know what? I trust that someone else can deal with my sins. In fact, yes, it wasn't even like burning um, sacrifices for the fun of it. He was literally saying, I trust in other gods to cover up my evil. How disgusting can you get? King Ahaz replaced the altar and said, I trust in false gods to cover my sin. It didn't stop there. Eventually it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and verse 24, it says, So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of God, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. He shut down the temple. He closed the temple, the place where you were supposed to go to meet with the one that saved the people out of Egypt so long ago, to go with the one that had done tremendous miracles for the people, to go to the God that had wiped out other nations before them, that gave them a land full of milk and honey, that gave them all this stuff. To be able to approach that God, he shut it down. He closed the temple down. What a horrible, dark day in Israel. I want you to see the pattern of being unfaithful to our God. You start to give your best to the world instead of God. And then you almost take the place of God to deal with your shortcomings. You realize there's still some things wrong with you, but you don't want to go to God for it. You go to others or maybe yourself. And finally, you stop going to God altogether. That's the pattern of someone who is increasingly unfaithful to their God. Far be it from us, brothers and sisters. Far be it from us that we would be so wicked. You know, this was during the time of Isaiah the prophet. 
And actually, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 7, there's a conversation that goes on between God and King Ahaz, right in the middle of his decision, when the kingdom of the north for Israel um, and the other country are going to pair up to fight him, and he's wanting to make this allegiance with Assyria, he actually has a conversation with God. Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remelia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. Here's the message. We're going to skip down to verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God, and ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Sounds like he's pretty smart there, right? I'm not going to ask for a sign. Oh, no. The reason his response is like that is because even though the prophet and the Lord are speaking to him saying, listen, ask for a sign, and God will be there for you. In his heart, he's going, I'd rather line up with Assyria. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to do any of this. Because I'm lining up with Assyria. And you guys probably don't want to hear that. So look at the response in verse 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? The message kind of changed from Ahaz to all the people. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I never knew the context of that great Christmas verse until I started studying it now at age 42. I want you to hear the message that God gives to the most unfaithful king out there. Because God made a promise to David and the people of Israel were close to his heart, regardless of some of their wickedness, he had to bring in wars, he had to chasten them, but he still said, listen, I still have to keep you guys alive. I've had promises for you as a kingdom. And their kings have continually failed. And isn't it interesting that he said, in the midst of such unfaithfulness, behold, I will give you a sign. Can you comprehend that? God is talking to someone who's king of Judah, who has replaced the altar. He has shut down the temple. In times of stress, he's left God and been more unfaithful. He has done wickedness everywhere. He has gotten rid of the gold and the silver in the temple. He has burned babies. He has killed children to offer them up to Molech. And God is piercing through saying, hey, guess what? I'm still going to give you a sign. I'm giving you my son. The same message applies to every single one of us. Regardless of our unfaithfulness, 
regardless of how wicked these times are, regardless of the whole world crashing around around us, God pierces through, and he's the one that says, Behold, I'm giving you my son. God with us. Yes, we get to look back, but don't we dare forget that I don't care about the COVID crisis. I don't care about what's happening in the world. God has not changed, and God is with us. Where has our faith gone? Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins, that we might be a people that no longer need the temple. We boldly go into the Holy of Holies based on his blood shed on the cross. Every single person on this earth can be saved and be a child of God because God said, Behold, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you my son. Brothers and sisters, let's be encouraged. The king of all these kings is on the throne. The king of kings and the Lord of lords has shot himself out of heaven, come down as a baby, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and rose again the third day. He ascended back into heaven, gave us his Holy Spirit, and said, all who are weary and come and heavy laden, come and I'm going to give you rest. Drink from me. Take my living water. I'm the bread of life. I will give you everything you need. God with us. The promise is still true today. King Ahaz never did it. King Jotham turned to his God. Let us turn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are so patient with all of our wrongdoings. Thank you so much that you, you have sent us yourself. You gave yourself. You loved us. Oh, Lord, we're not worthy of anything. Thank you so much for the message. In your name, amen. Your mercy has saved. 
No tongue can bid me thence depart When Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me To look on Him and pardon me Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one, risen son of God. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spot. Righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One in himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is in with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one. Praise the Son. Son. Awesome. 